Good morning, church. Uh, The reading for today is going to come from Acts chapter 9, verse 1 through 19. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight, And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much more he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. The Word of God. Well, good morning. My name is Matthew Rojak, and I'm an elder at church. Uh, My wife and I have been here about three years. We moved down after uh, visiting you guys for about six months, and it's been our pleasure to do so and join in uh, this community. A couple of things I wanted to start out with. One, I'm grateful for the opportunity to share the Word of God with you guys. It really is a privilege, and I appreciate leadership giving opportunity to elders to do so. And second, I wanted to tell you guys as a congregation, I would really encourage you guys to thank Pastor Leon and thank Pastor Eric as we've been going through the book of Acts. They have spoke about the Holy Spirit in a way that maybe we're very unfamiliar with being reformed. And they've let this thing be in flux a bit. You know, last week, Pastor Leon uh, spoke about how God speaks to us. And usually in the reform camp, we just always go back to he speaks to us through the word of God. But it was very obvious that as he spoke to Philip to go talk to the eunuch, God spoke to him. And again, Pastor Leon didn't take the easy route and head back to, you know, God speaks to us through the word. 
you know, he, he dealt with that subject, and Pastor Eric has as well. So I would really encourage you guys as a congregation, that's a difficult thing for pastors to do, to leave something like that in flux and to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to the congregation on the aspects of the Holy Spirit that we've been studying through the book of Acts. So please do so. Uh, I would also like to thank Pastor Scott and his team from Berean for coming down. It really is a joy for us and a pleasure for us. You know, to see teams partner in, in a difficult community. So thanks for taking the time out of your guys' schedules. Thanks for hard work. Uh, we appreciate what you guys have done as far as partnering with us. And lastly, for me, it's very difficult to get up here and teach and try to stay focused on a particular subject because anytime you talk about this, there are so many cornerstones that undergird this topic. Man, it's hard not to make sure that I cover all my bases. So I'm going to do my best today to stay focused. Um, uh, the pastors have Bibles in case anybody needs one. They'll walk down the aisle, just raise your hand, and they'd love to have a, a Bible in your hand. And also, if you guys need a Bible at home, if you don't have one, please talk to somebody, an elder or one of the congregation members, as we'd love to put a Bible in your hand that you could have at home to read the Word of God. Something else that, if you're new to MacAv, that we like to do is we encourage you guys to have questions. Our desire is not to just give you guys knowledge, but for this thing to become part of our character. And if there's something that I say that you don't understand, something in the scriptures that uh, you don't understand, please feel free to raise your hand and ask a question. If we can handle it in a proper manner, we will. Maybe it's something that we're going to have to talk about afterwards, but please feel free to interrupt me, raise your hand, and I'd, we'd love to have some questions. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. <sighs> Father, it is our joy to come before you and to open up your word. What a privilege that you have spoken through prophets of old and written down, Lord God, that we've got a guidebook for our lives. You've revealed yourself to us through your Holy Spirit that we can go back time and time again and refresh our minds, allow our minds to be transformed and not conformed. Father, you are good and gracious. Nothing is wasted in the life of a believer. You are sure to make that the case. And as we visit what happened to Saul today, it's obvious, Lord God, that nothing was wasted in his life. Father, as we open up your word, as we discuss who you are, Lord, may our eyes be enlightened to what you have for us. As we study through the book of Acts from 1-1 through the end, Lord God, May we not shirk our responsibility to go verse by verse and understand what your holy scriptures have to say to us. Lord, may it be clear to the congregation what your purpose and plan is in this aspect. Speak clearly, Father God, I would pray through me. May you be lifted up, Father God. We adore you and we cry out to you. Give us ears to hear. May we not be blind to what your holy scriptures have to teach us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So I think today a, a great uh, sermon title would just be Sovereignty, God's Sovereignty. And we're going to talk about it in two aspects. We're going to talk about it in the life of Paul, and we're going to talk about it in your and my life today. And there are, there are two things that I see that happen um, when we're talking about the word sovereignty in this particular passage that I really want to stress, one in particular. The first one we're going to talk about initially is 
I think in the book of Acts, as we've seen, and in this particular circumstance, I believe God wants to blow our mind. And I don't know how else to say it other than that. You and I have presumptions and presuppositions of things that we think that we know and things that we think that we know about God. And it's just so easy to say, well, this is how God works. And we can see continually in the book of Acts, that's just not the case. And I believe it's because God wants to show us how big he is and how small our minds are when we try to contain him in that thing. So usually when a, uh, the speaker gets up here and we're going through a book, we do a recap. And we're going to do a recap today, but we're going to do it in a little bit different format. I've highlighted some scriptures uh, that are going to show, as we discuss, places to me where God blew the apostles' mind and blew the disciples' mind. And in, in, in some aspect, are going to blow our mind as well. First of all, you look at the disciples were hanging with Christ for three years. They're hearing all these great promises of what the future holds. And then what happens? He gets crucified. And don't you think that at that point in time, the disciples were freaked out. Here they believe that the Savior of Israel is here, and all of a sudden he's in a tomb. So what happens in 1-1? Jesus appears to them, and he appears to them for 40 days to blow their mind. Then in one five he says, wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And again, I would encourage you that that had to blow the, the, the disciples' minds. They, they didn't know what they were in for. They didn't know what to wait for. Here they are in fear and trepidation, wondering what happened to the Savior that we were looking for. And then in one nine, they're talking to Jesus, and all of a sudden Jesus says, man, it's expedient that I go away, for if I don't go away, God will not send the Holy Spirit. Who's going to teach you? all things that I've told you because he communes with the Father daily. And can you imagine resurrected Savior in front of you and all of a sudden he's going to go away again. These guys wanted to hold on to him. But he said, it's expedient that I go away because God is going to send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, that's going to be the driving force between, uh, for the book of Acts. Acts 2, 1 through 4, uh, Pentecost arrives, the sound from heaven, different tongues of fire, all were filled with the Spirit and spoke in other languages. And men heard them speak in their own language. Can you imagine right now if a little delegation from the, U of M, for U, from the UN came here and Mike Fang and the crew are up on stage and all of a sudden they start speaking in different languages and the gospel is proclaimed. I mean, put that in your mind and try to think of how wild that was for the disciples, the apostles, and all of these men that were traveled there to hear the gospel proclaimed in their own language. They were amazed and astonished. And then Peter, he preaches hard, bold, and confident. Is this the same guy we just saw who denied Christ? There was devotion, fellowship, prayers, having all things in common, selling all possessions, the Lord adding to their number daily. And again, think of what happened here. These guys have been used to hanging in the synagogue, and they were Jews. And then all of a sudden, man, I, I mean, life changed. And there's all of a sudden this community where these guys, filled with the Holy Spirit, are selling their possessions. And they're making sure that no one's left out. They're making sure that there's no poor among them. And they're spending time in prayer and devotion and fellowship trying to figure out, man, there's this brand new baby called the church that just got born. And they're part of this growing movement. And then in Acts 3, we see the beggar healed. I mean, how much did that blow their minds? 
Acts 4, Peter and John preach before the council and they're threatened, and yet they rejoice in being threatened. There's prayers for boldness. And then Acts 5, Ananias and Sapphira. You talk about the fear of God coming on the church. You talk about their minds being blown. Peter's standing, he says, hey, man, the money was yours to do with what you guys wanted. But guess what? You lied to the Holy Spirit. Boom. Ananias down. Sapphira down. Stephen seized, full of grace and power, doing great signs and wonders among the people. And then he preaches a complete summary of the Old Testament, pointing to Jesus in front of all of these scholars. You don't think their minds were blown? Some unlearned guy telling them what the Holy Scriptures have meant from Genesis through? And then as Pastor did such a great job last week talking to us about Philip and the eunuch, you know, remember Pastor said that God just gave uh, Philip just a little piece of information, go. Didn't give him the whole thing, and you see what happened. And again, he had mentioned the possibility that this Ethiopian could very possibly have been the first missionary back to Africa. Man, that was a great, great sermon, Pastor. So then, again, I said, we're going to talk about sovereignty. We're going to talk about God blowing our mind because of his sovereignty. But the main thing that I want to focus on today is that there is a rest for the Christian because of God's sovereignty. And in Hebrews 4, 1 and 2, this is, some, this is one of my favorite passages. It says, let us fear. I'm sorry. Let us fear lest a promise of entering into his rest. Any of you should seem to come short of it. And then in verse 2, it talks about, For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Two camps here in the gospel. One chose to act on it and exercise their faith and believe God and God's word and who he said he was and the things that he did. And then there were some that chose not to. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. In God's sovereignty, there is rest for the believer. So we're going to talk about it again in, in two, two aspects. We're going to start, we're going to just go through a couple of points about Paul, and then we're going to transfer those same three points to you and I today. Sovereignty. God can and will do what he wants, that which pleases him. And he saves the most unlikely. I mean, Saul's an arch enemy of God and the church, and God chooses to save him. God removed a hindrance to the church and instead made Saul or Paul an asset. And the one thing that's pretty cool about this is did God ask Saul? Did he invite Saul? No. He told Saul, I'm going to show you the things that you've got to suffer for my name's sake. And as I've tried to put little headings underneath the sovereignty, discussing who God is, I just put, God said, you want to fight? To Saul. You're going to kick against the pricks? Guess who's the boss? Guess who's going to win? That's an act of God's sovereignty. Remember, I really would encourage you guys to keep Hebrews 4, 1, and 2 in the back of your mind. There is a place of rest for you and I to enter into based on God's finished work. And that's what Hebrews is referring to. But I'm kind of twisting a little bit and I'm saying based on God's sovereignty, there is a place of rest for you and I as believers. As we 
exercise faith. And faith is needed because we don't always think that God knows what he's doing in the right circumstances or situations. But we're going to see very clearly his action with Paul. God was right on in everything. And it's just another testament to who God is and his wisdom and his understanding and his power and his timing. So remember, want to fight Paul? So the irony of choosing Paul... Paul had both Jews and Christians at this point in time after his conversion kind of ticked at him. I mean, think about it. Here this guy is going to Damascus. He's already killed and tortured and exiled numerous Jews that became believers. And now he's going to Damascus to do the exact same thing. And then all of a sudden, boom, he gets converted, goes back into the synagogues. The Jews are looking at him and saying, man, he's no longer one of us. And the Christians are probably saying, man, this is the dude who killed my brother. This is the dude who dragged my mom and my kids off and has made life miserable for me. I really wonder, is this a real conversion? Or what's he doing here? Is he just trying to find out some more Christians so that he can drag us off? So because of that, Again, in my mind, I think this is a great opportunity for Paul. He can be as bold as he wants because he knows he's going to offend both parties at some point in time. So, man, Paul just says, man, I'm going to have at it and I'm going to preach God's wisdom, his utter wisdom in choosing Saul. I mean, can you imagine if the head of Planned Parenthood became pro-life? I mean, can you imagine what that would do? First of all, the power for that to take place, as it did in Saul's life, is undeniable. And whether the Pharisees and scribes did it in public or most likely did it in their homes, on their bed, when they were having their devotions, they had to say to themselves, man, something is up with this Jesus. And they had to have opportunity to wrestle with that. God's goodness leads to repentance. Here's another act of God's goodness, giving these guys an opportunity for them to look and say, man, this dude who was killing people now is preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the best part about it, Paul knew all their arguments. He he knew all of their arguments that they brought forth, and he was able to refute them. Now, I'm sure there was a growing process in being able to refute them, but you and I both know this was an event that happened. And Saul became Paul, and the Holy Spirit imparted wisdom so that he could go back, speak to the Jews, and speak to the Christians. And again, what a voice. What a voice that he had. You know, and one other thing I was thinking as I was going over this again last night is think about the mercy that Paul had for the nation of Israel. Think about the compassion that Paul had for his fellow Pharisees and scribes because Paul just recently was in darkness with scales upon his eyes. And how cool that the Lord brought him to the place of conversion that he would be able to go back and not only refute and argue with these guys, But I believe, I mean, you look later on, Paul says, man, I wish I was accursed for the sake of my my kinsmen. Paul was willing to give up his own life, his own salvation for sake of his kinsmen. And that's because Paul was in darkness and he knew the darkness these guys were in and he could have mercy and compassion on them. 
Again, for me, the little title underneath this aspect of sovereignty is God's utter wisdom. We're going to talk about that in a little bit later. And now, uh, the swiftness and the surety of God's ability. And again, to me, this is God's sovereignty and about timing. You know, we're always looking for God to do this in this particular time. You know, why didn't God save Saul before he killed Stephen? I mean, Stephen was a great order, great proponent of the gospel. Man, why not? We don't know. We don't know. But we know God's timing is perfect. And we can Hebrews 4, 1 and 2 in that. We can rest in that. It's clear. You know, it's interesting. Most of you guys are young. Betty and I are old. And I can tell you without doubt that we have seen God work time and time and time again in his timing, with his wisdom, doing the most unlikeliest of things, blowing our mind. Betty and I have plan A, and all of a sudden B squared comes out of nowhere and not only blows our minds, but guess what? It's way better for us. There is a rest in trusting the sovereignty of God. So again, I said this earlier, think of the swiftness of what happened. Saul got converted. This was not a process. This was a boom, your mind. And then again, think, think about it. I don't know how else to say it other than it was a game changer. Now, I like sports. You guys know what just happened in Cleveland, Pastor Leon. Cavaliers became a contender for the NBA crown because of one person, LeBron James, going back to the Cavaliers. I mean, just think of how multiplied this is. We're not talking about a basketball player. We're talking about a theologian who wrote a good portion of the New Testament. Man, it's a game changer. God knew what he was doing. God knew his timing. Please, 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 in the back of your mind, keep mulling over Hebrews 1 and 2. There is a place of rest as we exercise faith. This is not something we just sit back and say, God's sovereign. He's going to do what he wants to do. I can just chill out. You know, again, this is one of these little cornerstones that I'd like to discuss with you guys about man's responsibility. I can't. We don't have time. I'm going to get to it a little bit later. But I want to encourage you guys, there is a place of faith that we need to exercise to trust the Lord in his sovereignty, in his wisdom, in his timing, in his choices. Can you go to the next one? The Lord answered Moses. Okay, again, now this is back to us. We talked about Paul. Now this is in relationship to us. Saves the the most unlikely. Numbers 11, 23, the Lord answered Moses. Is the Lord's Lord's arm too short? Here Moses and the Lord are having a conversation. And Moses is kind of questioning God. And God says, man, do you not think that I can't just reach out and touch this circumstance or situation? Do you not think I just can't reach out and pluck Israel out of Egypt's hand? Do you not think I can just take one of the biggest hindrances to Christian guy named Saul? Turn him around and flip him over. That's what God's saying. Do you think my arm is too short? And then, man, these next two are just, just dynamite. Pastor Leon had 2.13 in last week. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. You don't see sovereignty in that? Both to will and do of his good pleasure. Guess what? God, when he caused you to be born again, is turning your will around. 
He is impacting your will so that your desires are righteous. He has taken out of you a stiff neck. He has taken out of you a cold, stony heart of flesh. And he's giving you a new, soft heart of flesh that you might obey him. That you might trust in his sovereignty. And then lastly, Proverbs 21.1. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of the water. He turns it whithersoever he will. That's a sovereign God. Now, my conviction has been since day one is that the Lord desires us to be eternal optimists. Now, I have to clarify that. I'm not talking about apart from God. I'm not talking about positive thinking. I'm not talking about positive confession. I'm talking about not being foolish. Again, the foolish aspect would say, man, I can just hang out. God's sovereign. He's going to do what he wants. Does he really need me? No, that's foolishness. The Lord calls us very clearly to work for his kingdom, to participate, to exercise faith, to share our faith. But the idea is that we can be confident that he knows all and he's planned all before time began. That's the eternal optimism we have. Guess what? Man, this life is short. You guys wait. It gets shorter. And at some point in time, guess what? I'm going home. I'm going to be with the Lord. And I hope that if I get cancer or my heart explodes, that I suffer well because I have a hope of eternity. And I can trust in the sovereign God that even though it doesn't look like he wins here sometimes, he does win. He is winning. And he will win. There is victory in Christ Jesus. Bottom line is, do we trust him? Do we trust him? That's the question at hand. Do we trust the Lord in his sovereignty to do the things that he's planned to do? Okay, I I hope I got this right. Two or three sermons ago, Alvin was preaching. How many of you guys remember Alvin's sermon when he had this thing where he was building and building and building, and I mean, I know, I think I was at like a level of like, man, hopelessness. And what did he say? But God. Guess what? That just happened to Saul. But God. God stepped in and turned a hindrance into an asset. Jesus' death. Man, that sure seemed like a loss. The Savior of Israel, crucified, buried, dead, All of his promises left unfulfilled. But God. Stephen Stoning. Man, can you imagine if you would have been in that audience of him and heard the whole synopsis of the Old Testament leading right up to Jesus Christ? And then he gets stoned? What a loss. But God. Saul, breathing threats, breathing murders. But God. So my question is, what are your sorrows? What are your fears? What's holding you in reserve? Do we say statements like, you know, I would tithe, but I have to make sure my bills are paid. You hear that little word that just changed the whole thing? But. So you're a liar. You don't want to pay your tithe because you're more concerned about your bills being paid. And forgive my brashness on that. I'd witness 
but I don't have the pedigree of Pastor Leon or Pastor Eric. I don't have the boldness of Alvin. Man, don't say but those things. Say but God. Doesn't God promise in his word that he's going to give you the words to speak any time and every time you ask? James says, any man will ask wisdom? Let him ask of God who gives to all men. But what does he say? You've got to ask in faith, not being double-minded. Detroit. But God. Not but Duggan. Not but blight removal. Not but, what do you call it? Garbage pickup twice a month. Bulk, you know. Detroit, but God. Now, I'm going to tell you straight up. I love Duggan. I love what's happening. But when people ask me who know I live in Detroit, do I have hope for Detroit? I say, not unless there's a spiritual revival because we're going to head back down the same stupid roads we already have. If, if our hearts, if the people's hearts of the community are not changed and not transformed, I don't care how much money Duggan brings. I don't care if we've got bulk pickup every week. Man, it really is a worthless endeavor because we're just going to go back to our pigs in the trough, our dogs to the vomit. We need a spiritual awakening. We need a spiritual revival. But guess what? We have hope. We have rest because we know the Lord knows this better than we do. We moved here for Detroit. Don't you think God cares more than you and I do? Don't you think God is better equipped to handle the sorrows and the pains of our neighbors and of blight reduction? <clears throat> I mean, I love getting together with Alvin and talking about Detroit because that brother is passionate. And anybody who knows him knows that's the case. Don't you think God's heart's bigger than Alvin's? Wow. I mean, I praise the Lord for Alvin, but man... God's able. Now, there, here's a point here. If you look at Ananias' prayer, what does he say? He doesn't say, hey, man, Lord, I'm freaked out. I don't want to lose my wife and kids. He says, Lord, I've heard about this guy and the harm that he's done to your saints. Now, now, hold on to that thought. Let's look back at Abraham. Let's look back at Moses. Let's look back at the Psalms. What do those guys consistently do? Abraham and Moses, when they're pleading for Israel, they say, but God, they're your people. What is Egypt going to say if you kill them all? You read through the Psalms. Virtually every Psalm, the beginning of it, is, excuse me, Lord, I'm freaked out. My enemies are encompassing round about me. Who's going to praise you from the grave? Save me, Lord, for your kingdom's sake. So the point that I'm trying to make here is Ananias is pleading to God for the building of God's kingdom, not Ananias's. Are our fears and worries based on our kingdom's benefits or lack of benefits or our, our concerns 
about God's kingdom growing. That's where we falter every time. My health, my finances, my, my, my. Ananias doesn't say that. He says, your saints, Lord. If you and I can renew our mind that if you and I are about God's kingdom, all that other stuff is going to take, take care of itself. I can guarantee you that because the scriptures say that, but I can also attest to you in my and Betty's life, consistently we have seen the Lord work and supply our needs. When we didn't have two nickels to rub together and our desire was for Betty to be a stay-at-home mom, and the Lord supplied. So as you guys send your kids to public schools, as you guys homeschool, as you move into the community, you can be assured of God's provision. Not necessarily for your little kingdom or the way we think about it. His kingdom is what's going to be built. And the whole point of this rest that I'm talking about in Hebrews is if you and I just take a step back, take a big breath, and realize what's our purpose here? Is it to build the Rojek kingdom? No. It's to glorify God and His Son to make much of Him and to see His kingdom flourish. There is rest in that. There is not rest in building my own kingdom. There is rest in building the kingdom of God because God not only cares more than I do for the people of Detroit, I can't even grow hair. God can. He's powerful. He's wise. He's got the timing thing down. You know, there, there's a scripture also that you guys are probably familiar with, 1 Corinthians, I think it's 13, 12, and it just talks about, for you know what, we see in a mirror dimly right now. At some point, man, we're going to see it all. We're going to be face to face. And it says we're going to be, we're going to know as we are known. But I just encourage you guys, guess what? We see dimly right now, just plain and simple. We don't have the answers. I don't care how astute we are theologically, we don't have, the old, we don't have all the answers. Book of Acts blows our mind. The Holy Spirit and God and his kingdom continue to blow our mind to this day. The irony of choosing Saul, using the foolish things to shame the wise. And think about this. Who would you and I choose to represent the gospel? Right now, if you could say, I want to see one person saved, would it be Brad Pitt? Or would it be Osama bin Laden? Or some despot that we absolutely despise? You know, you and I think like, hey, man, if we got Brad Pitt, Jolene, all the orphans, man, man, they'd be, able to, they'd be able to do worlds of good. But that's not the case. Look who God chose. Saul, hated by the Christians. Now he's hated by the Jews. Man, he's got hate on both sides. God's wisdom. You know, and I, and I said earlier, we talked about God wants to blow our minds in his sovereignty. Remember the initial cap, uh, recap in the book of Acts? Now hear this. In the book of Hebrews, when they're going through the faith chapter, God's talking, or the author's talking through, uh, God is talking through the author. And he's saying, man, they, they uh, put, the, or they, you know, they, uh, yeah, I, I, anyways, there's all these positive aspects. They shut the mouth of lions. They escape the edge of the sword. Women receive their dead raised to life. And you know what the next sentence is? Some were tortured, persecuted, and they didn't accept deliverance 
for sake of a better resurrection. Man, he didn't hiccup, he didn't hesitate. He went from what you and I would consider as positive things, shutting the mouth of lions, the dead raised, to others were tortured, not accepting deliverance for sake of a better resurrection. In God's mind, there's no difference there. Do you know why? What's the underlying aspect of all of that? Faith. They were trusting in the sovereignty of God, whether we're in happy circumstances, shutting them out the lions, or not. Look at Shadmach, Reshach, and Abednego. What did they say? Man, we're going to serve our God. We believe he's going to deliver us. But if he doesn't, <laughs> we don't care. We're serving him regardless. You know, our pastors encourage us consistently to suffer well. That's where we got to suffer well because the good things are going to happen. But guess what, guys? Nasty stuff's going to happen. And that's when our questioning of God, that's when we can choose belief or unbelief. We can choose rest or we can choose to build our kingdom. I encourage you, build God's kingdom. Trust the Lord in his sovereignty that he can accomplish his will. 1 Corinthians 1.27, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. The swiftness and surety of God's ability. Again, we, we discussed the idea that Paul's conversion was an act. It was not a process. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's not slack concerning his promises as some concern slackness. Again, we've got to be careful we don't put a timetable on the Lord. The Lord knows exactly what it's, he's going to do. And, and, and what's the point behind it? Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The Lord wants Detroit to come to repentance. And you and I are going to be part of that as we exercise faith, trusting in him. And then, man, this next scripture, like we could do a whole gig on this, but I I just wanted to bring it up real briefly. This is uh, Paul's Paul's letter to Timothy. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. And then, man, please, like read this, hear this, Bury this in your heart. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to the Macav congregation who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul is an example of God's perfect patience. Have you murdered Christians? Have you drug them out of synagogues? Have you destroyed families? God forgave Paul, and God continued to grow Paul. Man, congregation, take heart that God's desire is for you. Philippians uh, 1.6 says... um, And I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect or perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul is is an example for you and I. Believer, if you have sinned, repent. 
and know that God's forgiveness is there. Trust in the sacrifice of Christ Jesus and trust in his desire to continue to prune you and grow you in his grace. And then 1 Peter 1, 4 through 9, I wanted to read to you. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Now, man, hear, hear the word of God. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and is reserved I'm sorry, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for his salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Wow. I mean, that is just so incredibly powerful. You and I have a salvation that's been reserved in heaven for you and I. It's undefiled. It's imperishable. God has set this thing up in his sovereignty for you and I if you're a believer today. If you're not a believer today... If you don't know who Christ is, man, I would exhort you. I would plead with you. Examine your soul. Talk to anybody here, one of the elders, one of the pastors, if you don't have a clear understanding of what the gospel is. Because your life, your eternal life is in jeopardy. And that's not something you want to mess around with. There is an inheritance reserved for his saints that's undefiled. So what's the point? Can evil overcome good? Can it? Sure it can. Happens every day. But the better question is, can can God's eternal purpose be overcome by Satan? And we know the question or we know the answer to that. Of course it can't. Once again, 1 Corinthians 13, 12, we look in a mirror dimly. We don't understand it all. We don't grasp it all. It is frustrating. There's fear involved. There's doubt involved. There's confusion involved. But God, he is sovereign. He is holy. He's powerful. His word is truth. His word is active. And his word is for you and I to transform our minds that we might understand clearly the gospel and its implications for not only you and I, but for this community. So as we close, two thoughts I'd like to leave with you. A couple of months ago, as I'm, I'm reading through the book of uh, Isaiah, I thought it was really interesting that Pastor had virtually the same scripture that I do today. In Isaiah 38 through 21, God's talking, and he's talking about Israel, and he's saying like, man, you guys want to go back to Egypt? Do you want to trust in horses and chariots? you guys want to go back to those things? And Pastor Leon brought up that the Lord says, but I want to be gracious to you. And the very last verse in chapter 30, there's two aspects there. It says, for God is a God of justice and blessed are those that wait on the Lord. And in my time of devotion that morning, I just got the clearest picture that as you and I choose to exercise faith, and we rest in God's sovereignty, and we wait 
patiently for him. His promises are not slack. His provision will not be withheld. Maybe not in this life we'll get it, but that's okay. 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years from now, we're going to be in glory worshiping the God of our salvation. Believe me, we're not going to be remembering some of the garbage that we didn't understand or that threw us for a loop here. Lastly, I want to tell you about a story, and here to me is a real cool balance between God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. Betty and I have some very dear friends, Marco and Sharon Lolio. Sharon Sharon Lolio's parents, Rose and PJ, divorced about 30 years ago. Rose was a believer. PJ was not a believer. They got divorced, and about 10 years after the divorce, my friends Sharon and, Mar- Sharon and Marco were talking to Rose and said, Hey, Rose, you realize that because he's an unbeliever and because he divorced you, you know, you're, you're free to date, you're free to remarry. And the way they told it, and I, my mind probably embellished it a little bit, I just pictured this frail little old lady and she just said, Oh, I couldn't do that. He's my husband. I couldn't cheat on my husband. Fifteen years later, she'd been praying for this guy for 25 years. He had moved to Canada. PJ calls Sharon, his daughter, after 25 years of being divorced and said, Hey, you know what? I'm sick and I'm dying. And your mother will not be able to get her pension, his pension, if they're not married. So I'm, I'm going to marry your mom. And he said, Before you get all excited... That's all I'm doing. I'm not moving in. Nothing else is changing. But I'm going to marry your mom so that she can have a pension because I'm dying. So they rejoiced. Two months later, PJ passed away. And at the funeral, PJ lived on a boat in the water. The guy in the slip next to him was a believer. Came up to Sharon and Marco said, just wanted to tell you, PJ loves the Lord. I've been sharing the gospel with him, and a week or two before he passed away, he gave his heart to the Lord. God's sovereignty in providing for this widow, and yet man's responsibility to share the gospel after 25 years of being divorced, the guy becomes a believer. Congregation, we have a responsibility in this, and it's to work hard but it's also to rest as hard in God's sovereign grace, his sovereign provision, his power, his timing. I plead with you, would you guys memorize that scripture? That's in this week's bulletin. I plead with you guys, would you memorize that? Bury that aspect of faith in your heart because it's easy to have unbelief when we don't see God working like we would like him to, according to our plan. Build his kingdom. Rest well in the accomplished work of Christ. So we're going to have uh, tithe and offering this morning.